Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. Uh, For the first time and without precedent, I am your host, Daniel Ortberg. Uh, We've got a couple of firsts in the studio today. Uh, It is our 100th episode. This is my first time uh, with a slightly new introduction. Uh, And we have a guest with a baby. And I'm very excited about that. And our guest is Jesse Lane, who is a social worker, a mother, an excellent cook, and holder of many opinions. Um, Jesse, welcome to the show. Jesse and family, welcome to the show. Hi. How's how's your baby doing, man? My baby is doing really good. He has doubled his weight in eight weeks. Congratulations, baby. That makes me happy. <laughs> he's I, sleeping, like, but he's probably going to make a few noises and possibly later a few digestive noises. I think that I think that's great because it will help us um, kind of check in with his just like gut instinct. I think that he will sort of represent just the primal um, pre-verbal forces of good. Um, and he's just going to. It's all very Freudian. He's going to be a gut check. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. I've definitely studied that. And I'm not just speaking off the cuff at all. Um, Jesse, it's so fun to have you on the show. You and I have uh, known one another kind of a while and have gotten to trade some opinions back and forth uh, over the years. I can definitely confirm that you hold many opinions, all of them correct, by the way. (laughs) Always. The world is only imperfect insofar as it deviates from your opinions. That's what I say to my husband all the time. (laughs) I tried to um, balance this week out, too, in terms of just like work problems friend problems, parenting problems. I hope that we've given you a good cross-section and that uh, you feel like this is going to use, this is going to draw on the most and the best of your resources. I'm excited. And also because in Canada we have 18 months of maternity leave, I am missing work a little bit already. So I was excited for a work question. You know, I, I'm glad. I'm glad. Would you actually be so good as to read our very first question? I will do just that. Okay. Um, so the subject is how to handle conflict at work. Dear Prudence, about two months ago, a group of coworkers and I went out for after work drinks. We worked at a small nine person startup and everyone but the CEO was there. We began talking about our upcoming plans for growth and how culturally we may have to change things that might not be appropriate. Our CEO is the worst culprit. In my presence, he'd make comments ranging from implying we share lodging on a work trip to multiple me too jokes. We began to tell our own stories of comments we'd encountered and started to work out how to solve this before we grew any further. In the middle of all this, a coworker left to go to the bathroom. An hour later, we found out she'd called the boss and let him know everything we'd been saying. Not only that, but she grossly mischaracterized the context, our stories, and the goals of the discussion. On top of that, she and I had privately talked about the same issues weeks before. The boss came over to the bar to chat with one of the highest level employees and left. The aftermath was dramatic. I reached out the next day to have a chat with my boss and we ironed things out in an honest, professional way, as did my other co-workers, except for the one who called out boss. Our boss hates confrontation, and even though I asked for a facilitated meeting with the co-worker who called him, he insisted that things would blow over. After two months, though, it hasn't. I'm not sure what justice looks like here, but it seems as though in a workplace with an HR department, a discussion could have at least taken place and an apology would have been necessary. I'm professional with her. We're efficient and work gets done. So in the eyes of the boss, it's okay. But I want justice for what she did. As I write this, I think justice will probably never be served, and I'll never get that damn apology. Should I just accept that and move on? I was not, for some reason, expecting the word justice to make so many appearances uh, (laughs) in this letter. I think that might not be the most helpful way uh, of looking at the situation. I do have uh, sympathy for the letter writer, um, but I, I think that if your desire is for justice to be handed down in the sense of, like, this person has committed long-lasting harm and damage, and I have been wronged, um, and it needs to be made right with this form of apology. I don't know that that's going to help you. Yeah, I think um, I'm not even sure if the person that called the boss feels like they did the wrong thing. It, it wasn't clear to me if they feel that um, they shouldn't have done that or that that was unprofessional. But my first thought was kind of 
in the workplace, don't shit where you eat, I think is how I would mm -hmm. say that. I think it's maybe, I don't know. I feel like talking about these issues with a mentor or with people that you know well and trust is maybe better than going out with a team and just assuming that everyone's on the same page and comfortable having a conversation like that. Right. Because I, I think, yes, on the one hand, um, oftentimes conversations uh, that eventually get had in a formal setting happen first, you know, after hours uh, or with coworkers. So I'm not saying like, man, you should have immediately been having a sit down strategy session. But it is also true that you were with all of your coworkers talking about work-related issues. One of your coworkers decided to talk about the, this with the boss. Um, that was not an unjust act. Like, I can understand why you didn't like it. I can understand that it felt um, a bit sneaky in as much as she seemed to be comfortable with what everyone was saying and then clearly felt something different and wanted to talk to the boss about it. But, you know, you were with your coworkers talking about work. And one of your coworkers brought it up with the boss. That's again, like I don't, I don't love the idea of somebody going to the boss with something that you're all talking about as equals. But this was not like, uh, you know, she didn't eavesdrop on you on a social evening out with friends. Um, she didn't like open somebody's email and forward it to the boss. Like mm -hmm. what she did, I, I think, was not in with it. It doesn't fall under the category of unjust, right? I agree. I think, too, like I thought to myself, well, is this something where if I had an issue with a coworker and I felt like they'd done something that I um, that I would have preferred that they not do? Is it something that I would go and talk to them about? But I feel like maybe this person is already a bit of a wild card in the opinion of the letter writer that they went mm -hmm. and called the boss. So I don't it's hard for me to imagine that there is a better outcome than maybe just giving it time continuing to be professional and to work together well and to maybe not bring that person into conversations that you aren't ready to have shared with other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, this idea that like this idea that, man, if we'd had an HR department, she would have had to apologize. I, I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that an HR department would ever force someone to apologize for telling something to the boss. No, I don't think so either. HR is here for the boss. Um, and their job is not to force people to apologize unless there's been something actionable. Yeah, I um, agree. And they're looking to cover their liability. Um, so, yeah, I would say in terms of how things stand now, um, it sounds like you guys were able to discuss some of these issues with your boss. Um, you say that you ironed things out in an honest, professional way, which suggests to me that your boss has maybe stopped making those, like, shitty jokes and is no longer suggesting that you guys share rooms when you travel, um, both of which, by the way, sound like bad and displaying not great judgment. And I'm glad you were able to to talk to your boss about it. And I, and I hope that he has stopped. That's that's really that's a good outcome. Yeah, I hope this was a catalyst for change. Yeah. And it, it sounds like it, it had never gone into the realm of like the kind of behavior where you had felt like unable to do your job or or like really, really aggressive. And that's good. Like all this is good. There was like a persistent issue that you addressed. And now things are better. Um, you're efficient and work gets done. So, you know, you say, should I just accept that and move on? Yeah, I do think you should do that. <laughs> I agree. And, you know, I, I don't think you need justice. I don't think that you have been harmed. I think you thought that you were having a venting session with people who felt the exact same way that you did. You weren't. That may be a lesson in the future that you should always be cautious about what you say with your coworkers, even if you are technically off the clock. That doesn't make what she did amazing. I would not have said if she wrote into me, like, you did a great thing, good for you. I'm just saying she clearly sees the situation differently than you. You know better than to informally vent to her before you decide whether or not you want to do something in the office and let the rest go. It all worked out pretty okay. You guys don't necessarily have the same values with regards to snitching i guess and move on yeah you don't have to like everyone you work with yeah and and just in general like save i need justice for bigger things than this i agree which i was i, I was not expecting myself to to come down quite so so hard on them i don't mean <laughs> to make it sound letter writer like you are uh, like this incredibly overwrought unreasonable person i get where you're coming from i just i, I think it's going to be good for you to just move on uh, that's not, by the way, my advice for the second letter, which is just bad from start to finish. And and I'm just, ugh, I was just sad to, to even see the subject line. Um, so I'll go ahead and read it. Subject is, my sister's boyfriend flirts with me excessively. Dear Prudence, my 16-year-old sister's 18-year-old boyfriend constantly hits on me. I'm a 13-year-old girl. 
Whenever I ask him for a favor, such as picking something up for me at the store, I assure him I'll pay him back for the cost. He'll then refuse to let me pay him back, saying he wants something better than money. I'm not ignorant. I know he's referring to sexual favors, as he's also blatantly asked me for nude pictures of myself. One time, about midnight on a school night, he wouldn't stop contacting me, asking what I could do to convince him to help me with a favor. I told him to forget about the favor altogether as I was extremely uncomfortable to the point of tears. He since apologized for that incident, saying he went too far, but continues to flirt with me whenever my sister is not in the room. They plan on getting married when she leaves high school and are often discussing their future together. I know she loves him deeply, which makes me hesitant to speak up about what's happened. This hesitance is also reinforced by the fact that all of my family members seem to adore him. Do I tell someone and ruin their relationship and my sister's trust in those around her? Or do I keep quiet, hope his advances stop, and let everyone live in blissful ignorance? He is the grossest. Yeah, I I am so sorry, letter writer. I mean, I I know that you're aware that this is not okay already, but man, oh man, everything that you have described is awful. And frankly, the fact that he is badgering you for nudes uh, goes well beyond awful and into illegal territory. Um, He is asking a 13-year-old minor for nudes. Um, That's just super illegal. Yeah, it is definitely. And I think um, whether or not people want to bring the police into their lives or their community isn't something that I can decide for somebody else. But I do think absolutely that crosses a line. It's against the law. It's disgusting. And that's definitely it's just oh, it's just so awful. I thought this one was absolutely awful. And what a lonely place to be worrying about the impact that this disgusting person's behavior is going to have on the rest of your family. Right, right. And that he knows to wait until your sister's out of the room. Like that he's trying to target you, to isolate you, to get you alone, um, to to make sure that there's nobody around who could be looking out for you or backing you up or defending you or getting him to stop. That's really dark. That's really ugly. Yeah, it's so predatory. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think the letter writer is on the one hand, like partly saying I'm afraid because I don't want to hurt everybody. But I feel like underneath that is also the implicit fear of they all love him so much and she loves him so much. What if they don't believe me? Right. What if they don't support me? Right. Did you feel like that was kind of the undercurrent there? I did. And I think it always is in cases of sexual harassment and sexual violence that there's always this worry. Are people going to believe me? I think that's a really normal feeling. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like um, at least some of this has been happening over text. So you certainly have, um, I think, some evidence to back it up. I I wish I could say like, man, yeah, that's just absolutely going to convince everybody. But I mostly just want to say I understand your fear and your anxiety. I think to that, I would say it is not incumbent upon you uh, to make sure that everyone's vision of this guy stays untarnished, right? Like it's not your job to protect his reputation. Um, It's not your job to um, keep a secret for him just because everybody cares about him. I hope, I believe your family cares about you too. um, And that they would want to know if somebody was trying to like hound you into um, sending them nudes or, or demanding sexual favors from you. Like um, I, I hope very much that your family, when you tell them will respond sanely, which is to say, are you okay? How can we help? Let's make sure that he is never around you and that we are never around him. I mean, like, he is not somebody who should, like, kind of apologize and then be reinstated. This is somebody who you should never have to see again. I agree. And I would go far as to say your job isn't to do anything except whatever gets you through this in the way that leaves you the least traumatized. Yeah. So I I would say if you feel safe and comfortable talking to your parents, talk to your parents. Just say, like, here's what's been going on. Um, This 18-year-old guy has been pressuring me for sexual favors, asking me to send nudes, um, and and just badgering me um, to, to, like, like be sexually intimate with him. And I've been really scared to tell anyone. I have told him, no, he won't leave me alone. Um, It's constant. He waits until my sister's out of the room. And I don't know. I need help getting him to stay away from me. Yeah. And I think if you were to take out of the picture that it was your sister's fiance and you were saying that to your family, I think it would be really straightforward that this is something that they should know about and that they should be supporting you with. I think if you're worried about support, it's okay to have a friend come with you to have that conversation or another trusted adult. I think if you have a teacher or somebody that you want to talk to, you can. And I think, too, you can contact a rape crisis line if you want additional support and resources. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a, a really good point. Like there are a lot of organizations. Um, but yeah, you can call the National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline. Um, that's 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 4673. And talk to anybody there confidentially and they can um, help you talk through what you need, what your plan is, how you're doing, how you're feeling, all of that. But um, yeah, absolutely. Tell your family. Don't hope his, you know, don't keep quiet in the hope that he stops because I think he's demonstrated pretty seriously that he's not interested in stopping. He's interested. He'll he'll back off just long enough to make sure that you're not going to, you know, tell on him. But he's not interested in your well-being. This is not a misunderstanding. He's not an yeah. otherwise good guy um, who's just sort of interested in you. He is a sexual predator um, who is targeting a 13-year-old kid. I mean, he is 18 and you are 13. Like, that is... I'm so sorry that on top of dealing with this, you also feel like you're responsible for ruining this bliss. But yeah. the bliss is is not real, right? Like the bliss is predicated um, on a mistaken view of his character. And that's not. Yeah, definitely. You're not doing anything. You're not the one harming the situation. He's the one creating the harm. You're just telling the truth and asking for help, which you have every right to do. He's totally a garbage human. And I think. You can't control how people respond to what's happening. What's happening is what's happening. And I think you've just, that's that's it. And if things do not go the way that you want them to, I hope that you have a good network of support out there or that you can start to build one because all you can do is tell the truth and get yourself out of that situation as best you can. Yeah, and just please continue to stay in touch. Let us know how you're doing. Um, let us know how that conversation goes. And if you're able to get the support that you need, um, we'll just be thinking about you and hoping for the best just i hope if nothing else you can just let go of this idea of like this is the true love of my sister's life everyone else is so happy if i ruin this i'll be responsible um uh, you know i I don't want to be dismissive of your sister's feelings but she's also 16 um she will you know meet somebody else who is not a sexual predator um who's targeting her younger sister she will get this is not you are not like blighting her only hope of getting married or anything along those lines like this is this is a good thing for her to know it will it will make her life better to know that her boyfriend is trying to sexually assault a child um, because she should not want to be with someone who would do that i agree Whew. all right let's 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 find one where there's a little more uh, <laughs> uh room for disagreement or something i guess i feel like we just got one that was very like Kind of not a lot to say, just just in as much as there's only really one way to look at it. Um, but I'm interested in this next one because there's a lot going on here. Would you please read that letter? Yeah, I thought this was a good one, too. So this one subject is called Out. I'm a queer woman who has been with a straight man for three years. My best friend from high school is gay. Several months ago, my boyfriend and I were going through a rough patch, and I was getting frustrated with what I call his straight man shit, basically immature behavior. During this time, I would vent to my friend, and I told her as an example of straight man shit, about a comment he made that I felt was disrespectful to LGBTQ folks. Several weeks later, my friend told me that what he'd said to me had been bothering her for weeks and that she didn't want to be around my boyfriend ever again. I could tell she was really upset and I feel awful. I'm torn with what to do here. We all grew up in conservative areas, but my friend and I both are college grads and took classes related to social justice. My boyfriend has not. He's still unlearning things and my friend and I are things my friend and I already have, and he's open to doing so. I called him on the comment in the moment, and he immediately recognized that it wasn't okay and apologized to me. I know I've said things that are hurtful and been called out, including by my boyfriend, who's a different race from me. I think it's just a part of life. You apologize, learn from it, and do better in the future. This isn't a regular thing he does, so I kind of feel like my friend is being too hard on him. But I also feel that my friend has a right to cut out whoever she wants from her life and has no obligation to forgive him. I worry it would hurt her further if I asked him to do so. Or if I asked her to do so. I haven't told my boyfriend about this because I know it would hurt him. He likes my friend a lot. What should I do? My stomach is in knots every time I think about this. This kind of puts me in mind of the first letter where, you know, there's the sort of question of what is your goal when you're venting to somebody? Yeah. Um, Because I think in both cases, there's a certain degree of a desire to, I kind of want to say whatever I want and then not have you remember it or respond to it. Which is not to say that you, letter writer, are a total jerk who who is responsible for all of this. But, um, you know, when you vent to a gay friend about something homophobic your boyfriend said, 
you you don't get to later kind of do the whole like, oh, no, that was just garden variety letting off steam. You should know that my boyfriend's a really good person. Don't remember this. Don't have your own reaction to it. Like you chose to share that with your gay friend. And it makes sense to me that her response is not um, sort of clouded with, but I love him because she doesn't love him because he's not her boyfriend. Um, so she's looking at this, I think, in a way where her her primary goal is not, how do I make sure I still think the best of him? Her primary goal is, how do I feel about this? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If somebody's boyfriend was saying racist stuff and they mentioned that to me, I don't know if later they were to come and say, well, you know, uh, he didn't really mean it and he's learned from it and uh, he really likes you and it would hurt his feelings if you were upset about his racism that I would be stoked about hanging out with him again and I don't think that I would have to. And I don't think that, I don't know, being sorry is like a get out of jail free card or feeling bad about it is a get out of jail free card. I think we do make mistakes and sometimes we have to live with them. And sometimes that means that things are not like they were before. Yeah. And I'm sort of curious, like the letter writer did not choose to include what her boyfriend said. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, not knowing what type of person your friend is like, not knowing what you're like, not knowing how you guys kind of rank things along the scale. All I know is that you say you feel like it was disrespectful to LGBTQ folks. And your friend said she didn't want to be around your boyfriend ever again. Yeah. So somewhere in between, I think it could be disrespectful to apparently all LGBTQ folks, which maybe... A lot of anti-LGBT um, slurs are very specific, so that's certainly a possibility that part of what you're doing there is trying to make it vague so that you don't have to acknowledge what it was. But it was serious enough that your boyfriend's like, I don't want to be around this guy ever. So, you know, if if, if generally you think your friend has good judgment in those matters, I, I would pay attention to the, the strength of your friend's response. I wonder, too, if there's a bit of an unasked question there about, is this going to impact my relationship with my friend? Yeah. Because I am sanctioning this behavior. Right, right. It's, it does seem like the letter writer's goal is a little bit, how do I make sure that everybody's okay with each other again? Because I don't want to either not see my friend as much or um, feel like I have to break up with my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I want to encourage you, letter writer, to really think about the choice that you make in terms of venting about what you refer to as his straight man shit. Um, the fact that you put that in quotes and kind of seem to regard it as both um, something that you don't like about this relationship, but also implicitly something that he sort of can't help um, or needs to be carefully taught out of as if he were a child, right? There's that sort of like, well, he's still unlearning things that my friend and I already have. Um, and, you know, you refer to yourself as a queer woman and your friend as a gay woman. So the sort of implicit thing there is like, well, he's just a straight guy and he couldn't possibly know any better. And of course, he can only unlearn these things as a result of his proximity to us. I think you are being too easy on him. I think that he is an adult who is capable of unlearning and rejecting harmful anti-gay or anti-trans sentiment um, that he may have been raised with, regardless of whether or not he is dating a queer woman or specifically you. Again, that's not to say that he is a, a a monster who you have to dump tomorrow, but I think that the degree to which you want to make excuses for why he's still saying homophobic or transphobic stuff um, and sort of putting him on this like timeline of like child development of like, well, eventually I'm going to get him to this other place. It's simultaneously a little infantilizing and a little letting him off too easy. He's an adult who says things. Apparently, one of the things that he said um, was, you know, bigoted and painful and hurt a friend of yours. You would like to say that he's just growing and learning more slowly than you um, and that he should be given the benefit of the doubt. Your friend doesn't feel that way. You can't make your friend feel that way and you can't ask your friend to feel that way. Daniel, I think that's like the best advice of all. I like that. And I also think then when this letter writer talks about racist things that they may have said or done um, and having to be corrected, I think sometimes people are looking for a past for things that they aren't too comfortable with that they've done in past as well. I think this stuff is all really hard and I don't think there's a lot of clear cut answers, but sometimes we just do or say things that aren't okay. And sometimes I think there's no getting away from that. 
Right. And and that the difference between like implicit in that, I think it's a part of life. You apologize, learn from it and do better in the future. Um, I, you know, to an extent, I do agree with that. I really do. But implicit in what you're saying is you apologize, learn from it, do better in the future um, and receive absolution and nothing has to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone also has to forgive you. I don't think that's the case. Right. So um, I, I agree. I don't think that, you know, your boyfriend should be thrown away tomorrow. I don't think you should be thrown away tomorrow. I also don't think that just because in the moment your boyfriend realized it, apologized, acknowledged his wrong, um, means that everyone else has to say, cool, we're great. Um, that was enough for you. Uh, you have a particular view of your boyfriend based on the nature of the relationship you do have. OK, uh, your friend doesn't. Um, it hurt her even though he didn't say it to her directly, even though he didn't intend for her to hear it. And she gets to feel that way. And if she says, I never want to be around him, I think the best thing you can do as your friend is say, OK, I I, I hear you. Um, and if she says, and if you continue to date him, we're going to have an issue, then then that's just the next thing you get to deal with. Um, and if ultimately you decide I'm staying with him, I care about him and support him, and she says, then I can't be friends with you, then that's going to be painful, but um, you can't force someone to do anything else. And, and, you know, just that whole thing of like, he never does stuff like this. Again, I'm glad that that's true. I'm glad that this was unusual for him. That's really good news. That doesn't mean that other people don't get to make decisions about how they feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel there's more to come with this one. I don't think it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's kind of an ongoing tension with a number of things and, and this sort of idea of like, how do I feel as a queer woman with a straight boyfriend who apparently um, has some like harmful, anti-gay, anti-bisexual, anti-queer, anti-trans feelings. Um, and I don't know what that's going to look like for you. I don't know how you're going to navigate that with your social circle. I don't know how you're going to navigate that within yourself. I don't know how you're going to navigate that in your relationship. But I wish you the best, however that goes. Yeah, I think, too. I mean, the last thing I would say is that when we talk about whatever you want to call it, anti-oppressive or social justice actions in our own lives, getting uncomfortable, I think, is at the heart of it. And nobody likes it. Uh, but that's a huge part of it. And there's a lot about honesty and growth that comes out of being uncomfortable. So this is certainly going to be uncomfortable, I think, for at least a little while longer. Yeah, and that's okay. It's always harder when it's somebody that you care about and um, you want to believe the best of them. It's That's just part of the hard part. All right, this next letter, I feel like it is just very on the nose given, given today's uh, number of guests in the studio. <laughs> but we're going to do it today. We're going to fix uh, the problem of daycare, you and I together. Oh, yes, I think probably, definitely. Yeah. Would uh, would you please end it? Or end it? Would you please read it? Would you just finish it? Would you finish this conversation? Yeah. It's over. Free universal child care for everyone. Problem solved. That's the one. Uh, daycare. Dear Prudence, I'm a single struggling mom, and I depend on my brother and sister-in-law to watch my seven-year-old after school. He is very shy and has sensitivity issues, and my sister-in-law is completely unsympathetic. I understand she has a toddler and four other children to care for, but my son gets completely lost in the shuffle. Her son bullies my son, so she'll put my son alone in the bedroom to watch TV. She'll ignore my requests for her or her oldest daughter to help my son with his homework by claiming they're too busy. If my son can't eat the meal she makes for dinner, she lets him go hungry until I pick him up, sometimes as late as 8 p.m. Talking to both my sister-in-law and brother gets me nowhere. My sister-in-law gets defensive. She tells me she has no time to coddle my son, and if I don't like the way she raises her children, I'm welcome to find someone else to take care of him. She knows I can't afford daycare. My brother has told me I need to take a lesson in gratitude. I am so frustrated I want to cry. I have no extra money and my ex works under the table job so he doesn't have to pay child support. My parents and sisters live far away. I feel stuck. Is there any way I can solve this? Mm, I just need to make a sound. So I do think universal free childcare is in fact the solution to many of these problems. Um, but I don't know that we can offer that to the letter writer. Yep. I, you know what? I think this is really one where if we asked the sister-in-law and the brother what they thought was going on, we'd probably get a completely different narrative about the exact same situation. Yes. Yeah, I, I often feel like that's the case um, with with letters like these. It, yeah, it, I, I kind of feel for everybody involved here. Like, everyone's overwhelmed. Everyone doesn't have enough time and money. Um, everyone's got a lot of kids to deal with. It's hard. 
Yeah, five kids. I don't know. I'm having a hard time keeping my four-year-old in clothes and food with a baby. I can't imagine five kids and then another kid that you're caring for as well. Um, and I think that probably I would expect gratitude if I were doing it for free or for very little money. And that probably I wouldn't be making an additional meal. And that if there were conflicts that weren't easily resolved, that I might be suggesting things like a timeout. But I also don't know what is going on specifically. I don't know what the bullying looks like. I don't know if this child has food sensitivities. It's it's a challenging one because I think it's really hard to be in need and then feel like what is being provided to you isn't meeting those needs. Yeah. And you no, know, this is just one of those examples where it is just so clear cut, as you said, which is just that like this is a problem that affects everyone. This is a problem that affects like future generations. This is this is not just like a private family issue. This is what happens when people have to work and also have children and don't have the means to like shell out thousands of dollars a month for someone to like look after them um, and the position that it puts people in and, and how bad that is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that lack of infrastructure and investment in children does result in uh, more care situations that are unideal than ones that are ideal, for sure. Yeah. So in terms of, I think, I, I don't want to assume that the letter writer has not looked into like any after school programs that their son's school may offer, um, because I'm sure that she has spent a fair amount of time looking into her other options. And when she says, like, I don't have family nearby, my ex is not paying child support, I don't have a lot of um, time and resources, I, I, I assume that she has done what she can, but... If for any reason you haven't, certainly, even if there's just like one or two days a week um, that there are programs at the school or offered through the school or any other like shared um, daycare services that maybe other parents at your school um, participate in, you know, if, if there's any other options that that might go a long way towards both relieving your anxiety and your sister-in-law's feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, I wonder too about, I don't know if there's daycare subsidies available or something I found, um, have found more and more is that there is mom's groups on Facebook and things like that, where sometimes people can find like-minded people and exchange care or find other trades that may work for them. Or sometimes you just have good friends that are like family that if you're able to say, you know, I'm really struggling and I'm looking even just for help one evening a week. Um, or I know you're really good at this and maybe you can help my son with his homework or just sort of, um, offloading maybe some of the specific tasks. Maybe you have a friend that could help make dinner once a week that he could take with him if you know it's something that he's not going to eat. Or maybe there's even a friend that would take him for an evening when you're working if yeah. there's no flexibility around your hours of work. Yeah, I think that's a good thing, too, that you mentioned about the food, because that does seem like the most important thing to address, which is like, um, you know, if your son is not having supper, again, that's not like, I don't think it falls into the category of like, oh, man, get him out of there right now. But it's genuinely concerning, right? Like, he should not be regularly going without supper until 8 p.m. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't want to make more work for you. But if you know that this does happen sometimes, you know, whatever is easiest to throw in his backpack that just so that he could have something to eat that like, you know, he is comfortable eating or it's not allergic to or whatever his sensitivity issues are so that, you know, if worse comes to worse and he has there's no part of dinner he can eat. He has animal crackers or carrot sticks or peanut yeah. butter or something that he can eat with him. Um that requires minimal preparation. Although that being said, I am the mother who's in the practice of saying I'm making one dinner tonight and that's what there is to eat. Right. I, ju I just don't know if like when she says something like sensitivity issues, I don't know if it's genuinely like. Oh, like um, food sensitivity instead of like personality sensitivity. That was I, I wasn't sure on that. Um, so I, I just saw she said if my son can't eat the meal she makes for dinner. So I, I don't know right. if that was kind of like the mom adding to. Uh, he's kind of a picky eater um, or if there was something uh, like gen he genuinely could not consume that food without like risking his health or something. And if that's the case, throw that stuff in there. Although, yes, generally speaking, it is reasonable to like kindly say to a child like this is the dinner I have made. Um, I encourage you to eat it. I don't know. I don't have kids. <laughs> maybe, I don't know that maybe, I ever say like, anything with that much gentle encouragement anymore. I was going to say, like, I say that and that sounds really easy. And then I'm like, what if I had a child I had to feed every day and it did stuff that I didn't want it to? And I tried to say that and it was just like, no. Yeah, I don't know. You can throw in some melodrama and hurt feelings. There's so many ways you can make a child feel obligated to eat the dinner that you've made. I don't actually know if any of them work because my daughter does what she wants. 
Yeah. Yeah, I would say with the other two, it is... I, I, you know, it is really awful if you already know you have a shy kid and you know regularly that like he's he's regularly getting pushed around by another kid and you're not there to do anything about it. Um, but you know, I'm glad that at least um, your sister-in-law separates them. Um, like it'd be great if she maybe put the kid who was doing the bullying a- alone in his room. Um, but uh, you know, at least you know that when that happens and she sees it, she she pulls them apart. That's that's okay. That's not great, but it's okay. I think the thing about the homework, she probably is too busy. Um, you know, and and then that's unfortunate. That really does suck. But if she's looking after five kids, she may genuinely not have time to get to her nephew's homework. Um, and I don't know what the oldest daughter. I don't know her age or her life, but um, you know, she. She probably has things of her own she needs to attend to as well. I don't think that's urgent. I don't think that's a matter of emergency. There might be some lunch tutoring at the school or something that's available as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, talk to your son and figure out some, like, time management strategies. But if if the biggest problem here, aside from the food thing, is sometimes he doesn't get to start his homework until 8, um, that's frustrating and hard. But that's not like um, – I don't think that the answer is make your sister um, – make your sister-in-law do something different. I agree. I think too, um, I can't cite any of the research, but I know that there's research out there that suggests that as long as your child has like a stable home environment with a consistent caregiver who loves them and is using good problem solving and all of those things, even when they're in unideal situations, like they have a year where you can't stand their teacher or there's a kid around that isn't being very nice to them or the daycare setting or the childcare setting isn't the best, your kid is going to be okay because they know they have a consistent loving environment from which they can model behavior and where they can go for nurturing and safety. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably helpful to bear in mind, um, which is that I get that this is not an ideal situation, but it doesn't sound like, at least for right now, there's any um, immediate danger of your son not being okay. Yeah. And it's it's good developmentally. It really is to be exposed to situations that aren't ideal. I think it's a normal instinct to want to protect our kids from uncomfortable things. But I think also they have to learn how to do those things. And in an environment with extended family, who it sounds like you have a relationship with otherwise, it's probably an okay place. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, in the meantime, it'll always probably help both your well-being, your son's well-being and your relationship with your brother and sister-in-law if you are always keeping your eye out for other options in the future. And, you know, eventually your son will be old enough that he can stay at home by himself um, between when school gets out and when you get home from work. And that will be good. Um, and and good luck. You're all in a, a tough position. Like being a single parent is tough. Um, looking after five kids is tough. Being seven and shy is tough. Um, it's it's everybody's dealing with a lot here. Yeah, I agree. Hello, Prudence. Um, so three months ago, one of my best friends uh, told me and several other women in our friend group uh, that we couldn't be friends anymore um, because he wanted to focus on his male friendships and he found his feelings too distracting when he was around women. Um, he said he'd be fine seeing us in like larger groups, um, but not one-on-one. Uh, it was really hurtful because he was one of my best friends. Um, flash forward to the present. uh we're both really involved in our church, and I've been part of this group at my church for two years. It's helped me through a lot. I've just, these last few years have been hard with just with other situations outside of this friendship thing. Um, but unfortunately, he's still in the group too, and I thought it would get easier to see him. But even though our surface interactions have gotten less awkward, it's still just as painful to see him every week. And I just don't know if I should stop going to the group, and if I do, what I tell everyone, because um, I don't want to talk badly about him in front of other people, or if I should keep going and try to just feel better about it. So if you have any advice, that'd be great. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Man, I don't know. Friend breakups are the worst. Yes. Yeah. And for what it's worth, um, if if people aren't listen or listen, if listeners aren't super familiar with, I assume that this is an evangelical Christian church, um, based on the context uh, and the the fact that the the letter writer did not include more details. But uh, it is not terribly uncommon among some more conservative evangelical churches to advocate um, 
a, a sort of social separation of men and women that sometimes gets like uh, played out. And like they, sometimes people refer to it as the Billy Graham rule. Um, I think, you know, obviously there's been some more sort of talk about it lately, given like Mike Pence's sort of like public avowal of this rule. But yeah, essentially it is don't spend time alone. If you are a man, don't spend time alone with women that you're not married to um, or or I assume related to. Um, and that's, I think, the the context of, of what this letter writer or caller is talking about. So no one-on-one time with someone of the opposite sex that you're not married to? Yeah, or, yeah. Okay. And yeah, the sort of idea there is the best response to um, the prospect of the possibility of uh, a friendship getting... And, you know, obviously it's about, like, trying not to have an affair, right? The implication is right. if I spend time with women who whose company I enjoy, eventually, you know, we will ruin our marriages together. It's and the best response that I, a man of integrity, can have um, is just not to talk to women who aren't my wife. That's the best way that I can honor her. Um, I, I don't agree that that is the best way um, to... To honor your wife or or to keep yourself from having an affair, um, but you know this guy didn't ask me my opinion on his choice. He just he just made it. Um, but yeah, so the kind of question is like, how do I deal with this like painful friend breakup that was also kind of a more like a, a referendum on my gender, mm-hmm. right? Like that's mm-hmm. I, I think that's part of what's hard of it too. Is like it's not like you guys had a falling out. Um, or, or that you like were flirting with him and he said like, I can't be around you anymore because I feel like you don't respect my marriage. It was literally just like, hey, we've had this great friendship for a number of years. We share a social circle. We go to the same church. We share a lot of interests and values and whatever else. But, um, I, I've suddenly realized that because you're a woman, it's just too difficult for me to be around you. That's pain. That's painful. That's painful. And it kind of implies that like your mere existence is, um, sexualized. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a painful way to be objectified. And I imagine that this guy does not think of himself as objectifying you because he's like, no, 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 I'm trying to avoid sex. Um, but it is an objectification. And that yeah. hurts. I don't want to hang out with them. I don't like anything that you've just said about what's the undercurrent of what's going on in this situation. Yeah, I think, you know, you're, you're right to be hurt, um, especially given that he was one of your best friends. Um, you know, it, it does not get easier to see him in part because you're constantly reminded that um, years into knowing you as a person and as a friend, he decided that it was impossible for him to spend time with you um, because you just represented, you know, womanly temptation. I I understand why that feels painful because it, it, it feels like he doesn't value you because that was not the act of someone who values you. Yeah, I think um, that's it is painful and it may remain painful. I think it's good to talk to somebody, um, a counselor, other supports you have, maybe outside of that circle of friends, because after our first letter, we can see how things sometimes get back to the folks that we're maybe talking about um, or somebody that you just really trust. But I don't know that it is something that you can just make yourself feel better just because you want to feel better. I think seeing somebody like that and having the reminder of sort of having this picture painted about you or this value um, placed upon you would be really awful. And it would be awful in a social setting where the person is maybe not acknowledging that they've hurt you in some way or that maybe they were wrong in their assessment of you and the way that they treated you. Yeah. And and I'll just, I'll throw this out there. Um, you know, I don't come from the kind of background uh, where that was a really common practice um, myself, but I am aware of it. I, I also do come from an evangelical background. It, it was not totally unheard of. Um, and I think it's it's worth asking, like, is this a really common practice at your church? Is this part of the culture of the church that you belong to? Um, is this something that gets talked about? Is this something that just like one or two guys have done and it's sort of weird? Or is this like, ah, actually, it's becoming more and more common? And to ask yourself, is that part of the culture that I want to um, be a part of. Um, and 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 it is okay for you, again, not to say that you should like run into group next week and then say like, Jim, stop talking to me because I'm a woman and it hurts and it sucks and, and I don't like this guy. Um, but it is okay for you, I think, um, to talk about this practice and how it affects you and how it makes you feel with other people that you do trust in the church to get their reaction, to get their input. If it feels like this is something that most of the people in your church are like, yep, this is a really good idea. It's a really good way for men and women to engage with one another. We really support it. We're really here for it. Um, that's 
good information for you to have as you decide, like, do I feel the same way? Does that make me feel respected, valued as a person and as a woman? Um, or does that make me feel bad? Um, and, and do I want to be around that? Is that the best interpretation of Christianity that I think is available to me? I think that's a really good point. And I think if it maybe doesn't feel like the best place or the most comfortable place, then there's, again, resources and supports available and lots of other communities of like-minded folks where you will be welcome and respected and seen as a whole person, I hope. Yeah. And, and for what it's worth, I don't think that if you were to discuss this with anyone, and I, I, again, you know, you would use your judgment, use discretion. You don't have to go into every single detail with everybody that you know at this church. But I, I don't think you are necessarily talking badly about him in front of other people. If all you want to do is acknowledge this other member of the church went from being my friend to someone who did not talk to me um, because I am a woman um, and I have feelings about, you know, you're not saying... I, I think he's categorically an awful person or that he must have um, the friendship must not have been real because he was apparently constantly thinking sexually about me. Like you're not trying to smear him. You're talking about whether or not that is a practice um, that actually values women um, and, and helps people maintain uh, healthy, adult, appropriate platonic friendships. Um, that's not you're not gossiping. You're not smack talking right. him like you're. You're talking about something that affects you. I mean, if, if this were something that every man in your church were to adopt, um, and because that's the thing, right, is like it is done by men at women. This is not some sort of like mutually agreed upon part of your church culture that everyone that affects everyone equally. Um, uh, so, yeah, you're not you're not doing anything wrong by saying I have some feelings and opinions about this. Um, and I, I don't think that this actually values me like that's real. That matters. I do think, and I mean, correct me if I'm, I did not grow up in this environment, but I do think being cautious of there being repercussions, like being prepared for repercussions right. or for people, I don't know how people will respond. And I just want to make sure that you are feeling, I guess, safe and valued and like you're prepared for what may come next as well. Is that a fair thing to right. say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if this is the sort of thing that happens even on the fringes uh, of your church, um, then the odds that if you were to go to someone and say, I have some feelings about this that you might get met with, well, I don't know why. He's clearly just looking out for his marriage. Um, obviously, the only reason that you could feel hurt would be if you had romantic designs on him. Are you sure you weren't trying to lure him into an affair? Maybe women are inherently tempting, et cetera, et cetera, in a way that would be really damaging and and really cruel uh, and dismissive and sexist and and all of those things. So um you know do bear that in mind. You will know best what the kind of culture of your church is. Um although obviously people can always surprise us um when we try to tell them something that hurts us. Um yeah, and if if the response you get is really bad then I think that Again, as painful as that is, it's it's good to know, okay, this is what the like people at my church um, think of just the idea of me, a, a human woman, being friends with a human man. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, is that the look of the body of Christ? Like, if you look at the life of Christ and the kind of people that he spent a lot of time with, um, it does not look to me like a person who thought of women as a category of people to be strenuously avoided unless you married them. <laughs> That's just me. That's just me. Um, obviously, multiple interpretations of the Gospels abound. Hey, the baby made a happy sound. I, I choose to believe that that means that um, I hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I think so, too. That was definitely, he sanctions your response. All right. We've got another voicemail. I'm so on top of the voicemails this week. Um, I can't we're believe gonna... anyone still makes phone calls. This is shocking to me. It amazes me that people are willing to leave voicemails um, just because I will do almost anything to avoid having to do such a thing. But I'm glad they do. I'm me glad too. they do. It, it sounds cool. All right, let's do this. Hello, dearest Prudence. I'm calling because my mom died last November and my dad has decided to get married to an old high school girlfriend whom he hasn't seen in 50 years. They will meet in person for the first time on April 19th, and they will be getting a marriage license on April 20th. No one in the family approves of this, but my dad has made up his mind, and it seems there's nothing we can do about that. 
My dad has gotten angry at me for not giving him my blessing for this marriage, but he doesn't want to listen to my point of view anyway. I feel like he's disrespecting my mom by getting married so soon after her death, but I can't tell him that. He hasn't introduced anyone in the family to the woman he plans to marry, which makes the whole situation even more sketchy to me. So should I leave him alone and let him do what he wants to do, or should I interfere with his plans? What do you think? Thank you. Oof. I think I have some good news for the letter writer, in the sense that getting a clearer picture of what you can and can't do is always good. I don't, I don't know that you can interfere with his plans, right? No, I don't think so, unless he is incapable in some way, if he has um, some kind of brain injury or cognitive issue, a dementia or a stroke that would he's been deemed incapable of making his own decisions, in which case you certainly can do something. Or if you have concerns that things are heading in this way and that there may be adult abuse happening, then there's certainly steps that you can take to address that, says the social worker in me. Yeah, right. No, and thank you. As a social worker, uh, it's always good. But it doesn't sound like any of that is at play, right? I think sometimes, at least I, I think anytime somebody writes in and describes a person over 50 doing something that they don't like, there's a bit of a response of like, get them checked for dementia, mm-hmm. um, which feels a little ageist. I agree. can't always be the case. Yeah. Um, and, you know, absent any strong reason to believe that your father has suddenly um, lost the ability to make sound decisions due to a medical reason, um, you would just have to put this in the category of an adult is doing something that hurts me, another adult, and I have to use my sort of normal emotional toolbox when I deal with it. I agree. Yeah. I think unless there's a big piece missing out of that letter, then probably dad is okay to do what he wants to do. I do think it's worth mentioning because I think sometimes there are um, issues in with somebody's health that may impact something and people don't always know that there are steps that can be taken. But I agree, it doesn't sound like that's the case in this letter. It also sounds like the day has come and the marriage has happened. And I think, I mean, I think there's lots of things to consider. I think that one of them is that there's a big generational difference. If your dad graduated from high school 50 years ago, um, he may really feel at a loss without your mom and miss her so much and feel like there's something that he needs in his life and that perhaps this person feels the same way and that this might be something um, with 50 years of experience in being married that they may be able to have a go at it and it may be okay. Yeah, I do feel for this caller in part because I was trying to think, is there any way I can interpret last November as the December before last Right. And no, it's not. It was this most it was December. It was November 2017. It's been, you know, about six months, about six months, which is it's rough. Right. Like, I I don't think necessarily that that means that your father didn't deeply love your mother or that his grief wasn't and isn't real. But especially as her kid, I get why that's hard. Getting married six months after your mom died is painful, Um, especially if it's to someone you don't know, you've never met, who was apparently a part of his life before your mother. And I imagine part of that pain is that question of like, wait, was this woman in the back of his mind the whole time my parents were together? That doesn't mean, of course, that you can or should try to stop him um, or even that it's appropriate to share all of these feelings with him. Just that, like, it makes sense to me that you're feeling a lot of pain and grief. I would be, too. Yeah, I think anger. I think sadness. I think all of those things are totally reasonable. Um, I also imagine that you're maybe feeling a little bit suspicious of what this person's motivations are, this person that you haven't met, um, and also a little bit worried that this is a terrible idea. Right. And I think to some of that, maybe it is a terrible idea, but um, I don't think that that means that you need to intervene. Um, And I think, too, it it may very well just be that your dad has a sense of like, um, you know, his wife just died. He's, you know, coming to terms with the fact that like life is often short. We don't all like make it to die at 100 years old in our bed surrounded by great grandchildren. Um, And he might kind of feel like I don't want to spend, you know, a a long, long time um, publicly grieving or being signal in a way that other people would interpret as respecting my wife. Um, I can both love and miss her every day and also want to um, seek companionship. I don't know why that's the euphemism we always use for somebody getting remarried over the age of 50. Mm-hmm. It's like we have to euphemize the things that people want out of a relationship, which is like love, sex, closeness, support, 
Um, yeah, no one's like, oh, I'm, I'm 25 and I'm seeking companionship. <laughs> Long walks on the beach. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. Um, I, yeah, I, I think you can talk to your dad. I mean, obviously it's already happened. So there's that, right? Like you didn't successfully stop it or I think we would have gotten another voicemail. And given that it's happened, um, I think coming back at it and saying like, you know, it's it's not that I want to force you to like wear a, a public mourning and just be nothing but unhappy for a really long time. But I just also want you to know that this is hard for me. Um, it's taken me a little while to adjust. I would like to get to know her. I do want you to be happy. I just want you to know that like my my sadness is is not coming out of a place of not wanting you to be happy. It's just this genuine um, I'm taken aback. And and I hope that your dad could hear that. I hope your dad wouldn't hear that and say, like, nope, it's just everyone's job to immediately jump on board with this and feel great. Um, ho- hopefully he can hear that and say, like, yeah, I get it. I, 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 I do. And I'm sorry that I got defensive. Yeah. But he also may not say that, right? Like, he may not be about to apologize for getting defensive. I think it's probably still a pretty raw and emotional time for everyone. I am sure that your dad still needs you and your support in his life and as someone who maybe secretly got married five months after they met their now spouse um and then didn't tell anyone for another three months and has now been married for six years sometimes these things work out really well you never know okay tell us the whole story right now please i think that's pretty much it (laughs) you didn't Uh, tell anyone for three months no because i knew everyone would react very badly So then I told my friend who I knew would judge me the most harshly. And when she said very little, um, I knew I could tell my mom, who probably would have liked to have been told first, perhaps at the time that I got married. And it sounds like it went okay. Yeah, it's pretty good, I would say. I like it quite a bit. And it worked out. Yeah, sometimes you just know, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say like, yes, it was definitely... Uh, this guy's in the exact same situation that you were. But yeah, some, you know, I, I don't think it's inherently like, as you say, caller sketchy um, that he's decided to reconnect with an old girlfriend. That's not totally unheard of. Um, people sometimes revisit first loves long after uh, they have lost touch. Um, and it was probably never going to feel good if your father got remarried, right? It was probably never going to feel like, oh, I feel really comfortable and calm about this. Like, give yourself time and space and permission to say, like, this is jarring. This is a lot to absorb at once. And it came very, very quickly on the heels of your mother's death. Um, and it is okay that it takes you time to be able to talk about this with your dad. And frankly, it, it doesn't even sound like you've said anything terrible to him, right? Like, you just were like, ah, I can't bless the marriage to a woman I don't know. Or like, that's I don't know. It's odd to ask someone for their blessing, I think, mm-hmm. rather than to say, here's what I'm doing. Can we talk about how that makes you feel? Right? Because like asking someone for their blessing is kind of bullshit because I don't think that there are a lot of people who, if someone doesn't give their blessing, is like, okay, I won't do it. Yeah, marriage is off. Right. Yeah. So it was not a super genuine question. It was more like, can you tell me that this is okay and that you don't have any difficult feelings about it? And for you to say, it's not that I like think I'm in a position to forbid you. Um, or that I think you're a bad person, just like here are the questions and anxieties and sadnesses that come up for me. Um, yeah. And if your dad's not available to hear that, that makes sense too. I hope there's somebody in your life, even if it's a, a friend, a partner, a therapist, whatever, that you can share some of this with because it's hard. It's your mom. Yeah, I imagine that everyone in your life is probably like, holy cow, this is a terrible idea. How did it happen so quickly? And I think that's a pretty normal reaction. I hope that it goes well for your dad. I hope that this brings him some joy. And I hope that in the end that this is a person who is chosen who you will end up liking and being able to at least have pleasant interactions with as well. It might not be the way that it goes, but it would certainly be my hope. Yeah. And I think that having realistic expectations here is a good idea, which is you don't need to think that this was the greatest decision your dad ever made. But it may be possible to meet her and it may be possible to at least let go of the fear that she is out to harm or scam your father. Um, And that's good. Yeah. Unless you have strong evidence to the contrary. In which case, that's a whole other conversation. Right. Right. But um, yeah, good luck. That's a lot. I I hope you are at least seeing a grief counselor. I think that this would be a lot to process for anybody. Um, 
And now I just keep thinking about like, Jesse, where is the romance novel of you and your husband together? <laughs> Why aren't I reading it right now? You two meet, have a whirlwind courtship, a clandestine marriage, and then six years later, you solve the problem of universal daycare. It's true. It's been quite a life, I must say. <laughs> and, and on that note, thank you so much for making the 100th episode really great. What an honor. This was so fun. You know, thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Please come back sometime soon. Um, bring more babies. I will do my best. Collect as many as you can. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you, baby, for joining us. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.